The first reading for the Feast of All Saints is from the Revelation of St. John, chapter 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more. Neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel in St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Seeing the crowds... Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. It's important on a day like All Saints Day to make sure we get our definitions right. There are some, like the Roman Catholics, who say saints are very select few, who have done certain things in their lives that make them saints, and the rest of us can kind of look up to them, but we're not quite there. And yet, we believe that what just happened a moment ago makes one a saint, that you're declared holy, that you are made a saint in your baptism, you are a holy one. 
So today is not about worshiping saints who are holier than us or more virtuous than us. It's about giving thanks to those saints that God has given to us who are now with him, enjoying everlasting glory and bliss. It's about remembering those whom perhaps the world has never heard a word about. And yet, they taught you the gospel. They brought you to the baptismal fonts. They taught you confirmation class. And now they are with the Lord. Today is about giving thanks to God and looking at what God has done for them, what he continues to do for us. And in the midst of the death of saints, here on this day, we get a window. We get a vision of heaven, of what's going on for them even now that we don't yet get to participate in. And it's given us for a couple of different reasons. One is to comfort us, to know what those who have died in Christ have going on for them now, but also to encourage us that we would keep running the race in faith. Before looking at what Revelation lays before us, there's some other false views that we need to be rid of. Especially false views about heaven and the afterlife. The first one's pretty important. It's a false view that everybody goes there. Except, except maybe a few really, really bad people like Hitler or Stalin, maybe not them, but everyone else kind of automatically gets in. This is very closely related to what we heard from Pastor Walther last weekend about Reformation Sunday, about how we cannot be saved by our good works. We can only be saved by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. We have to be clear about this because the world's very confused. All who reject Christ, they will not be in heaven. They will indeed be in hell. And that includes, let us be clear, that includes many who were baptized, many who were confirmed, many who received the Lord's Supper. Not everyone goes there. Some other things we have to get rid of because we think sometimes they're helpful, but they're not. And that is ideas like that those we love who have died speak to us somehow, some way. Perhaps audibly. But perhaps it's through the gentle breeze or the bird singing or this butterfly flew by me at this moment and it must be them telling me everything's okay. But that kind of stuff's just mysticism. It's not indeed helpful or comforting. Or that perhaps they're watching over us, that there are guardian angels. The problem with all of these views is that they're false, and false views don't give true comforts. They give false comforts. They give false hope. But the true picture, what we have in Revelation 7, gives us true comforts, both for what they're experiencing now, those who have died in faith, and that no matter what we face, we'll get to experience one day as well. So let's look at four of these things that John points out to us in Revelation chapter 7. 
Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? From where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So what makes you a saint? What makes you one who gets to stand with this great multitude? Jesus' blood has cleansed you by his words in your baptism. We just saw this. We got to experience this here tonight. Addison was washed with the power of the word, with the water, and that means the blood of Jesus washed away her sins. That's what happened to you in your baptism. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to you, applied to you, and his righteousness is whole, it's perfect, it's complete. It's without spots, it's pure, it's clean, so that in Jesus, you are perfect, holy, and spotless too. When the Father looks at you through the blood of Jesus, that's how he sees you. So the Bible says again and again that's the blood of the Son of God that cleanses us from all sin, that rescues us from sin and death and the devil, that makes us a saint, that makes us a Christian. So that to invent some other way of getting to heaven, to invent or look for some other way to appease God, is to say that the blood of Jesus isn't enough. That God didn't do enough for you. But we confess that we were not redeemed with perishable things like gold or silver, but with the holy and precious blood of Christ. And we receive all that he gives us through baptism and through his holy word. We receive it through faith alone. And then we have confidence that it actually makes us a saint and that this picture of what's going on for them now is something we too will have one day. The next thing we hear is that we are sheltered with his presence. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. It's an amazing statement. The theme throughout the Bible that God will actually dwell with us. It's hard to believe, but we're almost to Advent. We're almost to the time where we start thinking about Christ's second coming. We start thinking about celebrating Christmas. What is Jesus called? He's called Emmanuel. God with us. God in the flesh. And it's in Jesus' flesh. It's there because of him. We get to be sheltered by his presence forever and ever. It's hard for us to fathom this. And the language used here is the language of the intimacy of family living. Right? It's like being brought under one roof all together with our Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, and being there in your flesh as well. Right? We're not just looking forward to being in heaven without our bodies, but we're looking forward to the resurrection of the dead. We're looking forward to the day our bodies and souls are reunited forever and ever. 
and get to be sheltered by God's presence. So that our hope here and now is the fullness of the new heavens and the new earth. As if that's not enough, there's more. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Suffering is no more there. Think about all the suffering that all the Christians right now in the world are undergoing. Even how much suffering you may be undergoing. It's overwhelming. It's unbearable. We live in a fallen world. Because of sin, the world itself is waiting for redemption. And here we have this vision of perfect, perfect and complete and whole comfort. No more trauma of any kind. Mental, spiritual, physical, no suffering. All the horrors of this life, all the trauma, it's all gone, it's all undone. We can barely imagine it, and yet we get this picture of the saints who have gone before us fully enjoying his promises. As we feebly struggle, we sing, they in glory shine. And so we can rejoice and be glad. We know, we know from this passage that one day our faith will be rewarded. We will have the substance of things not yet seen. Though the days and nights can seem unbearable, though they wear us out, Paul says in hindsight, we'll look back and we'll see that it was a light, momentary affliction. Quite a statement, Paul says. Because we look at it now and it doesn't feel light and it doesn't feel momentary. But when you're with Jesus for all eternity, you look back at it and you realize... It was a speck, it was a dot on the timeline of being with Jesus forever. Finally, we get this beautiful picture in verse 17. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Another promise that runs throughout the Bible, that God himself will shepherd his people. Whether it's Psalm 23, or Ezekiel 36 and other places, or Jesus himself, he will shepherd his people. And where does he shepherd you? To the springs of living waters. Again, we get beautiful baptismal imagery. This imagery of eternal life. But it's a little strange. If you're an English teacher, I apologize, but the Bible likes to mix metaphors. It says the lamb will be their shepherd. The lamb. And that sounds weird until we realize he is the lamb who laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins. That's why we get to experience all these glorious things that we hear. And that lamb is our shepherds. And so the promise is there's no more sorrow. There's no more tears and lament over sin over death, over the effects of sin, the weeping will be turned to joy. That is a promise. A promise that will be fully and perfectly fulfilled. And we get a foretaste of that here in the divine service. 
We believe that when we gather at the communion rail, when we receive Christ's body and blood, what do we say? With angels and archangels and with who? All the company of heaven. They're all here too. In a way that we can't fully comprehend or understand, you are nowhere closer to the ones you've lost in Christ than when you receive Holy Communion. They're there worshiping with you. And so we're to set before our eyes this heavenly vision. Several people were asking about Elmer Burstat before the service. As far as I know, he's still hanging on here in this life, though he wants to be gone. And what I did with him this week is called the Commendation of the Dying. It's a beautiful service in our pastoral care companion. It's one of my favorite things I get to do. It's beautiful and wonderful. And the last verses I read to him were these verses from Revelation chapter 7. Why? Because at the end, he needs to see what's coming. You see, one of the pastor's main jobs is to prepare all of you to die. Sounds weird, but it's true. We prepare you to die. To die in faith. To die confessing Jesus. To die with your eyes fixed on him. That's the end goal. Nothing else matters. That's why you have this great cloud of witnesses, which we heard sung, surrounding us. What are they saying? Don't give up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's all worth it. Because you get the glories of Revelation 7. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding guards your hearts and minds 